Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is Annie Jones, and she has a huge resume of successful swimming. She's not only a successful master swimmer, uh, open water swimmer, uh, as well as a very successful triathlete, particularly in the swim leg. She's been the fastest female out of the water in the last six Hawaiian Ironman events that she's done. But she's also a coach in Boulder, Colorado, working with a lot of elite triathletes. So uh, in this podcast today, we're going to a lot about technique in terms of posture, tempo, uh, catch and pull, as well as open water racing tips and awareness in the open water because open water swimming is not just about your technique or not just about your speed. A lot of sighting and skills go into it in order to be a successful open water swimmer. So we talk a lot about that too. And uh, in today's podcast, I'm sure you learned just as much as I did. And uh, before we go into it, I just want to let you know that we've got some new freestyle clinic dates uh, in Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney, and Brisbane. So they're happening first quarter of 2015. And we've also got two open water swimming trips, one in down the Great Ocean Road, one in Sydney, um, which are also happening early 2015. So go to effortlesswimming.com to check those out. And let's get into the podcast. Here is Enie Jones. We joined about halfway through um, the, the start of our conversation as I missed recording the, the first part. So let's get straight into it. High-level triathletes like Rini um, and Angela Nath, people that they really – the swim is not that important anymore. You don't really get – when I raced, you'd get like a $2,500 swim preem in St. Croix. They don't really have that. I mean, you can't win with the swim, but you can lose with the swim. And, and what I try to do is work with people – to manipulate their body position through posture in swimming so they can have the easiest, fastest swim possible to get to their signature event. So my coaching has kind of gone full circle from being, you know, an athlete, a high-level swimmer, triathlete, to coach, teacher, educator. And that's kind of how I got into it. And then meeting people like the Grimsies and yourself and the social media where there's so much out there that's even really good that sometimes the dialogues are amazing. And I realize people are saying different things or all have a thought that I just think, oh my gosh, I have to ask Trent about this. And one of the articles with Trent was um, came about seeing him the week after he broke the English Channel record, and he had a cut on his ankle. And I said, oh, my God, what happened to you? And he said, oh, it's from my two-beat crossover kick. <laughs> you know, and that's that's rarely taught anymore. Like in, you know, I love Gary Hall, but he writes in Triathlete Magazine about a six-beat kick. And, yeah, you'll have a great body position. But for a triathlon, it's really not the best kick for an easy body position. So mm. when I saw, you know, Trent's ankle all cut up. I was so excited because, you know, there's there's so many things that, you know, we're teaching different swimmers and we've experienced ourselves and, and you just want to share that knowledge. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's kind of how I came into it. I mean, I had similar sort of background. I grew up swimming since I was really young. Like I was in the pool at sort of four or five and um, did raise me well at some at national age championships in the pool with 
um, sort of two, 400 IM and 400 freestyle. And then uh, went to university and, and then just started coaching. And, um, and it was completely different going from being able to swim than going to try and teach that to other people who might not necessarily come from 10, 12 years of swimming who might have just started one or two years ago and then trying to translate that into, you know, how can you help this person become a good swimmer? Because it's not, you've got, you've got to explain it a lot differently than what you might explain it to someone who's got the experience there. So um, particularly working with triathletes who have only maybe been swimming for two or three years and they haven't quite got it to click yet. It was, um, it was a, you know, it took a couple of years for me to get my head around learning how to explain things to them that, that they would understand and, and what really gets them the results. Like there's a lot of sort of 1% things that you can talk about, but for a lot of triathletes, you know, it's, it's just the, the main things like tempo and body position and head position and that sort of thing that, that really gets them to be good swimmers, not necessarily the fastest swimmers, but it gets them so they're not, they're not losing too much time on the swim. Great. Yeah, no, I call it easy speed. And some of the things I've come up with, I've actually trademarked because, you know, when I was um, swimming, I saw some conch shells in the Bahamas and I was mad because someone had cut into them and they were really little. But I thought, oh, I can make some salt dishes, you know, and I'll swim them back to the boat. And they were filling up underneath and then draining through the air. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what I've been trying to teach. I've been trying to teach split tempo that people can change their recovery, you know, but keep underneath really deliberate. So, you know, I've had some things where, you know, now I'm working with people on what I call transference where they're so phenomenal in another um, sport, but it's not transferring. But there's certain things that will transfer the next video I'm working on right now is all about body position and to even have people think about Roger Bannister breaking the tape not only opens their diaphragm but lifts their chest but usually gets their catch wider so they're in their lats. you know. And then to me, I'm really into safety in open water and you can't swim like you can in a pool with your head down and your chest down and you know, digging like a little burrowing animal because there's boats and jet skis and fish and people and you really have to have a heightened awareness like I call, you know, running to the subway. You don't want to have your backpack opened and your shoes untied. You have to really have a heightened awareness in open water. So I try to teach heightened awareness, safety and really easy speed and body position and try to relate to something that they know, but they are dealing with two different elements and they haven't thought about that water and air and they haven't thought about changing their stroke depending on the course. So it's kind of like golf where, you know, if it's flat, sure, you can swim head down, totally flat, never look up like you're in a pool. But if it's rough and there's a current going in and out, you know, you need to study you know, all the, everything that's going on. Yeah. Especially in open water swimming. I mean, you can save so much time just by sliding correctly and swimming straight and reading the, the currents if there's you know, a push anyway, because, you know, you just see the, the number of swimmers that go off course and end up swimming an extra 20% on top of maybe a, a one or two kilometer or one mile race. It's, um, you know, you can save so much time that way. So just um, just being able to read the conditions and, and sighting every five, six, seven strokes and and making sure that you're keeping on course, it's um, it's something that might not take that much time to 
um, to be able to do well. But if you, you know, rather than trying to focus on this one aspect of your stroke and working for a couple of months to really get it right, there's, it's kind of an easy win that way is that um, being able to swim straight. Oh, and, and definitely. And, and being really aware of, you know, what's going on. I've mm. been in races where someone has, you know, swam into a boat propeller or, you know, just oh. to really be aware of everything, you know, that's going on. And even, you know, the people and the that are around you, you can't totally, you can't totally shut down and, and relax in open water. I mean, yes, you can relax and you need to relax, but you also have that split of really need to take everything in. Yeah, you can't you can't switch off like you might be able to on the run or or even the bike. I mean, even this morning, I just got back from uh, from squad coaching and um, had the guys do some some kick on their back and the amount of um, the number of crashes we had from them not going not keeping in the left side of the lane here in Australia. Um, yeah, it's just people just kind of being too relaxed with it and, and as you said, not being aware. So it's um, it's a really big thing, especially in, in open water swimming. Now, I'm curious to, um, to ask, what's your sort of process that you go through when analysing someone's stroke? So if you've, you're doing a one-on-one lesson and um, you might be doing some video feedback, what sort of process do you go through when you're, you're looking at what someone should do to, to take that next step? Um, I try to find first what somebody does really well. Like I looked at Rinny and somebody who's running a 252 after a 2.4 and 112 mile ride should not be running like she's running. She's not into what I call that transference and that tempo. And there's a few things. With triathletes, there's usually very, very low body awareness. So I'm a big believer in fun and toys. I have my own buoy, which you can fill up. You can keep it empty. You can take it in open water and drink from it. You can fill the bottom container, which opens your psoas a little bit because triathletes are so tight, you know, from running and riding forward that they – they never open their psoas pack. They never have a upkick or their soles usually coming up. So sometimes I even have people pull with fins on. I'm a big believer in snorkeling only because the audible breath sound, the ujjayi breathing really relaxes them. It lifts their chest and their neck. It actually gives them a sense of relaxing even just listening to the sound of their breath. And it also helps people disconnect. Many, many triathletes, when their left arm comes forward, if they breathe right, say, for instance, they're doing water polo head up, they turn their head just because even though their head's out of the water, they're used to turning their head when they breathe. So a lot of times, you know, it's different for each person, but I look at what they're doing right and then I try to disconnect with what they're doing wrong because sometimes the connection is something they need to get away from. Like when their stroke gets longer, they're going to be breathing in a different place so they need to use a snorkel so they're not turning their head where they used to turn their head. And also have people not be afraid of easy speed, to not be afraid of... um, everything of history, of learning and having fun, because it doesn't have to be this monotonous, you know, drudgery that people go through. Mm, Yeah, I completely agree. And um, one of the, 
one of the ways I kind of like to mix it up is, I mean, in, in the pool, we'll do some open water drills. We might do some pack swimming and, um, cause we, we don't really get that much of a chance to do open water swimming here in Melbourne where I am. I mean, in summer, the, the water's not too bad, but, um, we do, I coach a master's group with a couple of triathletes in it. And, um, so we try and sort of, yeah, mix it up by, um, by keeping it fun in the pool and, and whether that's just doing the open water skills or, or whether that's, um, just sort of mixing up training. So we do these things called chases where the person, um, one person will wear fins, another person will not wear fins and the person without fins will start at 10 meter mark and the other person will push off from the wall. And the aim is to try and catch them for, for that 50. And, and we'll go through somewhere between sort of 10 and 12 of those. So they've got to use that easy speed. You can't go max on the first one. You've got to be able to maintain a fast pace for all of them or else you're going to blow up. So sort of just just keeping it interesting in training rather than just doing 10 400s every set it's um it's good to sort of change it up well and that's also really what happens in a race is you look up and there's a pack you want to be with or you need you need to access your speed so i think i think what you're doing is really great and it's fun and when i coach masters i do you know drills like having one person on each leg, you're pulling. So in the front, it's about a catch, a committed catch and power. And in the back, it's breathing, kicking and composure and and not having control. So I think mixing it up as fun as possible is really important. And I I even, you might appreciate this being an IMer, even I have triathletes that don't want to learn other strokes, but butterfly so good for your catch, backstroke so good for your lifted sternum, a fourth and fifth finger entry, breaststroke is so great to open your psoas, lift your chest, you know, and get your being able to scoop with your forearms, which there's not really a better way to teach it than to do other strokes. Mm, absolutely. And it's, um, I mean, most most sort of triathletes will tend to do a little bit of backstroke and a, a little bit of butterfly, even if it's with fins on. Um, but just that that awareness of what your your body's doing in the water and you know your catch and everything in those other strokes it's uh it's a good way to 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 learn something and improve your your freestyle um uh, something i wanted to talk about with you as well that you've you've coined is split tempo so um just a method for i guess swimming better in in open water and dealing with chops so could you talk a little bit about split tempo so split tempo is a couple of things. When you're running and riding, you know what your cadence is, you know your tempo. But in water, you're dealing with two different elements. And water's 800 times denser than the air, so it's easier to be faster through the air. So to be able to split your tempo in the stroke, I found, is really important. And it's important when there's a few things going on, which is one is called rage, where water's going in one direction and the wind is going in another direction where maybe you want your recovery lower. Um, another thing that I do try to teach sometimes is called the Birmingham feather. And this is from a great Australian coach named Paul Birmingham. And he found so many shoulder injuries were not from underneath the water where you want your elbow higher than your wrist and you want to use your forearms, but they were from the recovery where in the States, we teach this high elbow recovery, and there's no points for prettiness here. So actually, a wider, flatter 
recovery almost like an oar is super less stressful on your shoulders when you're in a wetsuit. So split tempo is actually learning to deal with water and air differently. So I'll use things like rocks and shells where you're holding them in your hands to get on your into your forearms and even biscuit sand dollars where they drain through the air so you can think about being faster through the air and much more deliberate and powerful through the back of your stroke. And uh, so using that, you um, let's say someone's swimming open water and it's quite choppy, um, with that split, split tempo, the way I like to sort of think of it is um, you're transitioning from um, so you, the pressure and, and the catch out the front and then transitioning from that, let's say the right arm and then into the left arm. So you're trying to keep that, I guess that anchor point out the front there, just where you're starting to get pressure on your hand in the catch. And that's exactly. a, a good way to stabilize you when it's, you're getting pushed in all different directions. I call that the long anchoring drill where you're actually entering in the front, reaching and driving and pressing and finishing in the back. So it's the opposite of catch up. One arm's forward and down and the other is finishing. So I, I, I like thinking of um, that as a long anchoring drill, which is really good to do when it's rough and you're having trouble, you know, holding your line and just sighting. Mm. And uh, and I've heard you, I was watching your open water video um, before, which was really good. And one of the things you spoke about was business out the front, party at the back. And uh, I mean, even in uh, pool swimming circles, um, some of the, there's a few elite swimmers um, down in Melbourne. And I mean, their coaches talk about the very same thing is out the front, you want it to be nice and clean, um, not too much disturbance with the water. But out the back, that's where, you know, you can really drive the stroke. You can work the kick if you're you know, a pool swimmer. And, um, but you, the main thing is you want to make sure it's clean out the front because that's where you can really start to you know, drive the stroke and keep pressure on the water uh, and then just push it all back past your hip and, uh, and driving your kick. Exactly. And I had a little bit of trouble with that with some of the kids I was coaching when they didn't know what a mullet was, business <laughs> in the front, party in the back. But I got them to do that. So my next video, I'm working on posture and I call it superhero posture. And often I say to some of my um, clients, well, have you ever seen a superhero take off? And they say, oh, yeah, I have. And I'm thinking, really? But then we're in Boulder, so maybe they have, but with the right arm really stretched and reached all the way that cross connection to the left foot, you know, through the torso. But then it's almost like the superhero dropping the cell phone because when he starts to fly, he's reaching for that cell phone and really getting that, you know, hand down with the, the reach. Yeah, I like that. And I've, I've spoken about it in a similar sort of way is that um, if I'm talking about posture, I'll say to people have you if you ever remember your parents measuring how tall you were growing when you're a kid you'd be up against the wall and your chest would be out your shoulders would be back trying to get every little extra centimeter and it's a similar sort of posture that you're looking for with your body when you're swimming freestyle is um you, know, you don't want to be hunched over and forward it's about trying to be nice and tall and you know opening up through your um through your core there and that's that's when you can really start to um sit comfortably in the water Oh, and I'm what you just said, that to me is the number one thing that I try to teach because, you know, not only does it open your diaphragm, it lifts your chest. I mean, even Eddie Merckx would teach people to ride to hinge at the hips so that they could actually breathe. But if you watch the old videos of Roger Bannister, you know, break, I call it breaking the tape mentality where, you know, you're actually 
just what you said, stretched through the chest, you know, and, and lifted because, you know, not only that, it's a really, it gets you out of your traps. And I get so many, you know, triathletes that are just swimming with traps and shoulders. And I say, you know, that works for a while, but there's so much more strength you can access because at a, at a certain time, you're going to be limited with how fast you can go with the way you're swimming. Yeah. And I mean, particularly with triathletes, I've, the last couple of months, I've really had a big focus on just getting them to uh, become more flexible through their shoulders, their traps, their, their rhomboids, and just getting them to um, open up through their, their upper spine. Because you know, if you're in aero position for you know, a couple hours a day when you're riding, if you're at a desk, if you're in the car, just so used to being hunched over. So just getting them to open up through their shoulders, uh, it allows them to have that recovery that's a lot a lot easier and, and access that easy speed rather than trying to um, sort of bash and crash their way through the stroke in that hunched position. And um, over the last sort of two or three weeks, one of one of the guys that I coach, he's just been stuck at the same time and he hasn't been able to make that break to the, the front pack with his swimming. And um, the last couple of weeks, I've just had him stretching before and, and after each session and just doing a streamlined stretch on the wall. But rather than being streamlined, just hand shoulder width apart and then just leaning into it and opening up through the spine. And this morning, he had his best session that he's probably ever had with me um, by doing that, just by being a little bit more flexible. And we've just adjusted his, his entry. Was, he was crossing over, but now he's managed to enter in front of his shoulder, in front of his ear. And for the first time, he's actually managing to hold some water rather than just spinning the wheels. So um, particularly with triathletes, I've really had a big focus on just getting them to become a lot more mobile and flexible, and it's made a, a big difference. I think that's huge, not only in the upper thoracic and the rhomboids. I was working with a little girl, and she said, you know, I watched a video, and all the swimmers at nationals were spinning their arms forward. She said, but Michael Phelps was crossing in the front and crossing in the back, and she goes, I really see what you're saying there because that's opening more movement. And that's why, you know, rowing is such a good dry land for swimming. Um, there's some great products out there like IntelliSkin, which is, um, it's almost like um, a jog bra. If you break your collarbone, it pulls your shoulders back. But you're right. We spend so much time on the computer driving, riding, you know, hunched over so that you end up becoming frozen in that position. So first I work with that and, and then I end up going down to their psoas because that's the only muscle that connects your core to your lower body. So, you know, in, in order to get them to actually get some sort of upkick and some kind of core involved. Yeah. And you can feel that. I mean, I've the last couple of um, months, you know, if I spend too much time in the car driving to and from the pool or whatever, uh, and you know, the, the psoas tightens up, then when you're in the water, you can really feel that lack of connection through the, um, through the hips and the, and the core. And especially with your kick, it's really hard to get much power from that at all. So um, just be, being a little bit looser through there um, can make a, a huge difference as well. And um, I mean, I've got a big emphasis on using the, the foam rollers, the, um, the massage balls. And there's another little tool that um, one of the guys that I coach developed called back balls. It's B-A-K balls and um, it's it's kind of like two tennis balls taped together but it's made from rubber and it's a little bit harder um, but it's something that you can use to um, to massage along your spine and that's oh, nice. so it goes all the way down 
Yeah, so it, it's kind of um, it just fits along those sort of muscles along your spine, and you can just roll on it on your back. And you want to start quite gent- um, you want to be very gentle with it at the start, but you know once you loosen up through there, you can really dig in, and, and it's a good way to open up that thoracic spine there. And um, I use it myself before and after every session, and the difference that it makes is just is huge. And and I think um, one of the final things I'll do is I manipulate body position in a set like people always go a kick set a pull set a swim set and what I try to do is really mix it up like within a set kick pull swim so when you're pulling you have this great body position but then if you swim immediately afterward your body tries to find that Um, other things I'll do is I'll have them bring their wetsuits to the pool and use fins and battle paddles or fiddle faddle with their wetsuit like the opposite fin to the opposite paddle because sometimes they'll put on a wetsuit and they start swimming like they've had an epidural from the waist down they just float and dig again so to actually teach them to use their full body yeah that's really good i, I like that and i mean what what suggestions do you have to people when it comes to swimming with and without a wetsuit do you advise them to make any changes to their technique or their recovery or anything like that? Well, with the long sleeve wetsuit, I do teach the Birmingham feather because even though wetsuits are so much better than they used to be, having a really high elbow recovery is just, it's a little more uncomfortable with the long sleeve wetsuit. I do like people, sometimes they're making the wetsuit shorts and I even like them to bring um, those to work out sometimes because it just draws awareness to that part of the body. So the first thing I try to do is get to people to the, be aware of what they're doing and then disconnect and then reconnect, you know, to be able to find power that they're, they're not using. So, and also sometimes people's wetsuits don't fit very well and they don't even really know that they're shutting themselves down because it's not the right wetsuit for them. Yeah, it, it definitely pays to have someone fit you properly uh, you know, if you're going into a store and, and getting fitted out. And I, th- I think it's even worth, no matter how much you're, or how little you're sort of swimming in open water, it, it can be really worthwhile getting a good wetsuit, paying the extra two, $300 and getting a better wetsuit with more flexibility through the shoulders and you know, one that doesn't chafe and things like that. Because um, for that, that little bit extra, it can just make your swimming a whole lot more enjoyable. Oh, definitely. And there's some phenomenal things coming out. Um, one of the things I used to make, I called them aqua armor, and I put them on my arm, kind of like arm warmers for jellyfish. But now some of the wetsuit companies are making them um, for swimming, and they're good because they don't chafe you under your arms and they don't limit shoulder mobility. You know, so they're, if it, it looks like an arm warmer, but it's made out of neoprene. Mm. Yeah, that's. You, uh- that's, um, I mean, yeah, chafe, chafe can, can stop you pretty quickly from, uh, from, you know, swimming two days in a row if you're open water. Oh, and mobility too. It actually, you know, limits um, your mobility. So I think, I think you've hit on a couple things. One is to, you know, not have any fear and also to really have some fun. It, it really doesn't have to be, you know, I know it's the first of the year and everyone's doing a hundred hundreds, but 
I'd much rather have people have fun and go fast and get out when they lose their um, form than do what I call a headbangers ball where they're just going, going, going. Yeah, and I, just being sustainable with your training. I mean, uh, you know, I think 100-100 is a good um, good challenge set, just something to like a um, like a willpower set. Uh, but if you're doing that on the 1st of January and then you don't swim for a week because you're too tired, it's, um, it's just sort of, you know, sending the wrong, um, the wrong message. So you just want to make sure that your training is sustainable and you're not, uh, you're not blowing up every, every third day, fourth day where it means you've got to recover for, you know, 48 hours or something like that. Well, and I think you're right. I think mentally, no, mentally, I think it's really strong and empowering to do something like that. But I'm also a big believer in um, fun and mixing it up. So some days I like people going a double and then the next day having a day off so that they're fresh because I find there's a lot of medium going on where people feel good on their easy day and so then they swim more, but then on their hard day they're tired so then they back off. So rather than have every day become a medium day, you know, that's where it's super important, I think, to do you know, to do the hundred hundred sometimes, but then take a day off and then some days do a double, some days just a single and really mix it up. Make an IM day, have a kick day, you know, have um, a not a, a pull day, but also I do like pulling, not pulling, pulling, not pulling and totally mixing it up so that people, because it's easy for people to get bored, I think, in the pool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, with our sort of four squad sessions a week, one of them is sort of a longer aerobic session, one's speed, one's uh, skills and technique, and another one's, well, it just depends what we're training for that for that fourth one. But um, yeah, you're right. You know, if you're doing all aerobic sessions for the week or you're just doing the one stroke or you're just doing pull, it gets, it gets a bit tedious and um, you want to be tested in other ways in the pool as well. And um, uh, with your um, with your pool boy that you've created, can you talk a little bit about that and what's um, what makes the um, the pool boy that you've created um, so different to the other ones? Because uh, I'm quite um, quite curious about it. I will send you one. I actually um, in when I was swimming, the Swedish swimmers used to take these plastic things that they'd put on kids' backs and tie them together. And I always wanted one. And so when I initially, when I made them, um, they are, they're blow molded. So you could fill, you know, there'd be a, um, at the end, somehow we just put a cap on the end and then it kind of went away. I started getting into other things, but the reason it's the best buoy out there is I still have mine from 20 years ago. So it probably needs some planned obsolescence. I mean, it, it lasts a long time because it's a blow-molded plastic. But I like it because I grew up in Florida. And in Florida, the styrofoam buoys get really disgusting from the sun and the chlorine. So I used to have rashes on my thighs just from the buoys. So this is not only it's a cleaner, more durable buoy. Um, and when it's empty, it's super fast because it gets you in a race position. It's higher. It's like being in salt water or a wetsuit. And then you have some options like you can fill both capsules, which is really hard, and combine it, you know, with a band. Or I personally, I like my bottom, um, the capsule facing down with some water in it because I am so tight from sitting and riding and running that 
just to get that my psoas to be stretched a little and open up and have that weight in the bottom, I start using my lower abdomen and my core a little more swimming. So um, what happened was is when it first came out, um, I did it by myself. And then um, a couple of years ago, some friends of mine in Dallas decided to bring it back because they had all had it. And for triathletes, it, it does some great things. It really gets them not afraid of the times because then they're going a faster time in the pool. It also gets their tempo a little faster. You know, and I I told you I even bring mine sometimes in open water and put my drink in it because I get really thirsty in salt water. So I can just, you know, bring my drink out there and, and use it. So it's durability, longevity to be able to adapt and change change it from off-season to mid-season to hard to race pace to tapering. It's it's actually a pretty um, nice nice tool to have. And for, the, for people who haven't seen it, it's kind of like, I guess you'd say two big Coke bottles together with, with that, you know, that you can fill and, um, but, you know, but designed a lot better than that, obviously. And, um, you know, among, among triathletes, or at least among my friends, there's a big, um, in terms of pool boy, there's a big, uh, not, not a, not a status thing, but like a, um, you know, the bigger the pool boy, the better. And they don't really make them like they used to when it comes to pool boys, you know, they make these crappy little um, ones that might last two or three years and they don't provide that much buoyancy. So I think to have something that you can change the buoyancy with uh, and, you know, something that's going to last, uh, it's good to bring that bring that back and, um, you know, have something that, that can really lift you up at the hips and simulate swimming with the wetsuit and, um, and get you down to those faster times and be able to uh, increase your tempo with a pool boy because I think a lot of open water swimmers um, – you know they need they need that strength training that you can do with a pool boy or pool boy and paddles. Uh, so you know to be able to lift yourself up and and do that is you know is a really good thing because it's very hard to find a good pool boy these days. Oh, and and sometimes I don't know how it is in Australia, but sometimes here we have this mentality where like harder is better, and 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 really. To, there's nothing wrong with going faster and making it easier. And so many of the people that have my buoy travel with it. You know, um, Rennie has one and I was surprised she'll take it to Hawaii with her. But that's when she's training in the pool. That's the exact cadence she uses. All of Siri Lindley's athletes are required to buy a buoy. Um, Jerry Rodriguez, his uh Athletes at Tower 26 are very into the buoy. Uh, ben Hoffman, who um, was second this year in Kona, uses that buoy. So it's almost become this savior legs. Like, why make it harder than it needs to be? Because it's just been a great tool to have. And so not only does it teach you a lot of things, but it just makes swimming a little more enjoyable. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of coming from the... Um, the swimming coach uh, approach, I guess, and 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 thinking, you know, the less you use of a pool boy, the better. But um, as I come to, you know, understand and, and learn more about open water swimming and triathlon swimming, and um, you know, and just training in general, uh, a pool boy is a is a really good tool, especially for for building strength. So, um, yeah, and if you talk to a lot of elite triathletes, 
they're doing so much of their session with a pool boy and paddles and, and band as well that um, it's silly to ignore it. And, I mean, we're, I'm just filming a new triathlon swimming DVD with uh, Clayton Fatale and Annabelle Luxford, and, and they were talking about their training, and so much of it is, is with those toys. Yeah, and, and both of them, um, I met both of them actually in Boulder this summer. Um, one of the things that I made that I was calling the Clayton was a really heavy paddle, you know, that came down. But um, they, it's nice to see what people are doing because they don't use their arms, you know, and their lats in the other disciplines. So it, it is nice, you know, to use actually paddles and buoy and get a good arm lat workout. Yeah, definitely. Especially, especially if someone's working full time and um, you know they're an age group triathlete and they might be able to squeeze in two, three sessions a week. Then you, you want to get the most out of it, and you're probably better off just getting a good arm workout than trying to use your legs um, for some of it. Right, and and it mimics the position you're going to be in when you race because so many of the races I do are saltwater or wetsuit. So when I'm pulling. I have about the same cadence with my arms, the same split tempo, I the same body position that I have with a buoy. So I I pull a lot. Mm, and it, yeah, and it's it's so good for open water swimming. And another thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, with let's say someone's come in and they've got uh, a slower tempo than they really need. What is what are some of your sort of strategies that you use to get them to increase their tempo and be comfortable with it, and then use that in a race? Um, one of the things is music. If they're connected to music, um, when uh, Brian Goodell broke the world record, I think it was in the early eighties. He had radar love in his head but if people have any music with Angela Nath I even had her sleeping with the tempo trainer (laughs) because to actually get used to that rhythm to that sound that you need one of my favorite things to do is actually sit during Siri Lindley's group workout when they're going fast and write down each person's uh, tempo and then use a workout with the tempo chainer where people have to change the tempo and they'll have to go Jody Swallow's tempo or Rinny's tempo or Didi's. And people are just so shocked thinking, really? No, this is how I swim. And I'm like, no, swimming is like golf. The more clubs you have, the more different strokes you can learn, the better you can be. So you don't want to get attached to this is how I do it. Yeah, you've got to get used to getting out of your comfort zone with your your stroke rate, and it takes time. It you know it takes time to develop the, uh, I guess the strength for it, and just being comfortable and you know making those small changes to the rest of your stroke to be able to to cope with a faster stroke rate. But uh, you know when you when you're comfortable with it, boy, it can make a, a difference to your open water. And you know if you look at if you're watching someone, uh, let's say they're a, a 70 minute Ironman swimmer and they've got a stroke rate of maybe 55 uh, or 60, and you know they could go a stroke, hold a stroke rate of um, of 70, then you know when they when they are able to do it, their time it's kind of like free speed in that. Um, you don't need to change anything else except for that tempo, and it can make a big difference, especially over you know, a longer event. And even the split tempo, even keeping the underneath the same, but changing just the part in the air, and people go, 
well, I never thought about changing my recovery. And I will say, well, I'll change it all the time depending on the size of the waves or, you know, what the the current is like. But to even change half of your stroke can be really, really important. And it's hard because, you know, there's so many Sometimes I'm fighting and and I've let go a little bit. Like I'll see videos on the internet and I think, oh gosh, or I'll listen to a coach and and I'll think, well, gosh, that'll work in a pool. But after a while, you're totally, you're totally limited. And I'm a big believer in longevity. I think swimming is, you can do after you stop riding your bike and after you can't run anymore. It's something if you do it right, you can do it your whole life. And it's, it pretty much is the fountain of youth. So to be able to learn um, different ways to swim and to enhance your swimming is actually not only good for your racing, but it's good for just lifelong learning. Yeah, and I, I see, um, especially in the, in the swimming world, I mean, uh, young kids come into it and they train, train so hard for, let's say, four, five, six years and they might hit 15 or 16 and they've, they've had enough of, of swimming because it's, it's been the same thing for the last six years and they just get hammered into the ground. But, you know, and let's say they break national record at 16. I don't really see that as being a successful swimmer because, you know, swimming's about wanting to do it for the rest of your life and, and not hating the sport. So, yeah, it's really about enjoying it into your 20s, 30s, 40s and, and so on because, you know, it's, it is such a great sport and such a great workout uh, and you can meet a great group of people. I mean, some of my best friends have come from, from swimming. And if you're getting up at four or five in the morning and you're sharing that with other people, especially as you're growing up or, you know, you might be working full time and sharing those early workouts with people, you really get that bond and connection um, that it's very hard to find anywhere else. Oh, definitely. And even through open water, I mean, not only the um, history, but meeting some of the people I've met, you know, through these open water races, it, it's just an amazing way to live and to be able to live your passion and be inspired and enlightened by other people. And even the fact that we're having this conversation on two different hemispheres dealing with um, teaching and, and what we're seeing, I, I find it absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and it's it, we're very lucky in, in that way that we can, um, uh, I guess, make a living from something that we love and, and something such as swimming. And I think as well, just with, with how the internet is these days, with, with podcasts, with YouTube and, and blogs and everything like that, being able to learn from other coaches and seeing what strategies they use and how they think about things is a really good way to have a, uh, a complete arsenal of, of weapons or, or tools that you can use and pull out with different swimmers because no swimmer is the same and no technique is the same. And um, you know, sometimes it requires an, an individual approach to helping someone get to where they want to go to. So it's, uh, it's so good being able to you know, draw on your experience and you know, the athletes that you've worked with and seeing what's helped them improve their swimming. So it's, uh, we're very lucky to be living in, in the age that we are, I think. Oh, I, um, I mean, amazingly so. I still, I still get inspired um, from the past because I think of, you know, some of my heroes going to Australia and, you know, even having freestyle 
starting as the Australian crawl. And there's just so much. I mean, not only is there so much history, but there's so much going on in the present that we can tap into all around in the world. And it's going to make the future so much better because the access to information is just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I see it even in uh, when the the suits came out for, for swimming in sort of 2008, 2009, when nearly all the world records were broken um, at, at the world champs. And um, But these days, a lot of those suit records have been broken because um, you know, they've reverted back to better technique and you know, looking at the biomechanics of swimming. So um, it's it might be at the very pointy end of the field um, or pointy end of what's possible, but still seeing that push just through through science and you know and um and discovery and things like that it's just um it's pretty awesome to watch oh absolutely so where uh, where can people find out more about you read some of your articles get your pool boy what's um what's the best point of contact for people listening to this um the buoy can be um you can find it on www.enibuoy.com um, I have – it's on my website there. Um, also, I write a lot for iVigor, uh, which he does a lot of different things across the board. Um, if you ever are in Boulder, I'm at Rally Sport, um, and I do a lot of open water around the world. So if you just Google my name, there's usually a link that um, – will come up and hopefully, you know, you run into people soon. And that's been the greatest thing about, you know, not only open water events taking off almost beyond triathlons is that you end up just seeing people and meeting people all around the world. So, and with the internet and social media, um, that's another way as well. Just Eni Jones on Facebook or Twitter. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. And um, I know I've had a great time chatting with you and yeah, and hearing your um, your strategy for improving swimming. And um, you've also got um, a, an open water video available too, which um, which I just finished watching. So I highly recommend people go and check that out too. Um, and I have another one coming out this next week, and it's on it's on posture and more dry land stuff. So I will ship that to you as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And um, no doubt I'll get you back on for another podcast because uh, this has been really fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy holidays. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.